0: Even some sins that we recognize, we don't ignore them. We just don't pay any attention to them. And so when I came upon this verse of Scripture and it talks about, Lord, keep me from presumptuous sins, I began to look and see what presumptuous meant. And the dictionary says that it's taking liberties. And I thought, man, that's a good Scripture verse. ...for the sermon because there's so many sins that uh, God looks at and condemns that we take liberties with. Uh, And May God speak to our hearts tonight. I remember not too long ago I preached a sermon on when God laughs. And the essence of that sermon was that you can start wandering away from God... ...and you can get so far away from Him that when you get in trouble you can call on Him and he'll just laugh, the Bible says, at your calamities. And he'll say, you go back and get help from whoever you've been serving. But tonight, we've kind of turned that around, and we've entitled the subject, uh, the message, uh, When God Doesn't Laugh. And there's some things, some sins that we commit and we laugh about that guarantee God doesn't laugh about. The first one that I'd like to bring to our minds is the lie. Uh, Sometimes we might be telling something and really be serious about it, and one of the brothers or sisters will say, well, now that's not quite right, and we'll say, well, that was just a little white lie. And and when we say that, everybody laughs except God. And uh, I begin to think upon that and and uh, about how that uh, we take that so lightly. I usually pick on Brother Rex about that and and tell the story about him going to town and not supposed to have uh, a Big Mac and he gets it and then he comes home and Vonda asks him if he ate one and to keep down the argument, he says no. And I don't know that Brother Rex has ever done that, but I still think I might outrun him, so I, I use him as an example and uh, but that's a lie if we do that even though you know the television programs and the radio programs will tell you there's sometimes when it's better to lie but not that's not what God says. and so we talk about those uh, little white lies that we tell and I, I know when my Children were smaller. I know your children didn't do this, but when our children were smaller, they'd get out in the yard and they'd start playing and uh, they'd get in arguments and after a while you'd hear somebody say, you are a big black liar. Now, I've kind of searched through the Bible and I haven't found any place where God talks about little white lies and big black lies. He just says all liars will have their part and the, the lake that burns with fire and brimstone. And I don't think it's any accident that when God started listing the armor of the child of God in Ephesians 6, that the very first thing he says is to have your lawns girded with truth. I don't think that was an accident that he put that first, because that's important, that we as God's children be men and women of truth. And uh, it's, it's a serious business, and we ought not to be going around, and, and, uh, and all of us are guilty of it. I put myself in the same category. All of us are guilty of, of getting to that place where it's funny to talk about uh, telling little white lies or telling big black lies. And uh, it's never funny to God. And then we'll come to one that uh, it's really hard to preach this because next Sunday is homecoming. But I want to talk a little bit about gluttony. And gluttony just means you eat too much. And I don't know how many times, and I may have been guilty of this myself, but how many times I've seen preachers come up here after a meal at the church, and singers come up here after uh, meals at the church, and say, I want you to know I ate too much. I can't sing or I can't preach. And you know what everybody in the audience does? Ha, 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 ha. But I tell you, God's not laughing. We, we take those, those are presumptuous sins. Those are sins that we take liberties with. And uh, God never laughs about that. And I began to look up gluttony. And I was surprised to find that every time God talked about a gluttonous individual, he also associated it with being a drunkard or a bibber. And there was one story I read about in the Old Testament where uh, a set of parents had a son that was a gluttonous and a wine-bibber, and they brought him to the elders of the city and stoned him to death for it. Seer sin. And yet we laugh about it. We're all guilty of that. I guarantee you, there's not many, if any, in this audience tonight that hasn't laughed at somebody saying, I ate too much. And most of us have said that about our own selves. It's hard, I tell you, it's hard to go to a buffet restaurant without sitting. You just want to keep on eating and eating and eating, and after a while you say, man, I shouldn't have went back that last time. But gluttony is a a sin, and we, we need to be conscious of that. And when we join in and laugh, you can be sure that we're laughing by ourselves then there is a commandment in the Bible that is so neglected and so funny to us. Over in the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, verse 25, God says, Forsaking not the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Now, every one of us has heard that song that they write, that they've written about excuses. Excuses, excuses. And I guarantee you every time that song is sang, we laugh. If nothing else, when we get to that place where that man tries to sing like a woman, we laugh. And uh, I've done it, and I'm sure many of you have. There's nothing funny about that song to God. And if you've been out and visited very much, you've got some excuses just about like what they sing about. We we went. I went and visited a, a family one time that I had gotten out of church and had uh, tried to find out why they weren't coming. And the mother said, Well, our daughter and grandchilds moved back in with us, and we have so much to do that uh, uh, I have to wash and iron on Sundays. Don't have time to go to church because I have to wash and iron on Sundays. And then it wasn't too long after that till an individual I know uh, saw them in Muffinsboro, and the grown daughter complained said, we've been down here since almost daylight this morning and it's way up late in the evening and uh, been down here shopping all day long. Now, why wasn't the mama at home washing and ironing on Saturday where she'd come to church on Sunday? Now, God doesn't laugh. We laugh about that. We tell that and it sounds funny to us, but it's not funny to God. I knew this feller that had uh, uh, come to church fairly regular years ago and and uh, he missed a Sunday, and I said to him, I saw him out somewhere on the street, and I said to him, I said, uh, well, I missed you at church Sunday. And he said, oh, yeah. He said, my cows got out, and I had to fix the fence. He said, you know, God says if the ox falls in the mire, you know, you can put it out on the Sabbath and so forth. And uh, that sounded good. Until two or three days later, I saw his uh, teenage son, older teenage son. And I said, uh, well, uh, I saw you, Daddy, and told him I I missed you at church. He said, yeah. He said, last Wednesday, our cows ran through the fence and broke it. And Daddy put them in the barn. And he said, Saturday, he wanted to go to a sale. So he couldn't fix the fence. So he had to stay home from church Sunday morning to fix the fence. Now, that ox got thrown in the the mire on Wednesday. And if you throw the oxen tomorrow on Wednesday and you take it out on the Sabbath, I don't believe God laughs about that. Now, I'm just saying that there's sometimes that we think, there's things that we think is funny that God doesn't think is funny. And so, uh, this is this matter of serving God is a serious business. And then I, we were talking to a, a, a fellow uh, brethren and I were talking one day about the morals of our country. And uh, really our country as a whole doesn't have any morals anymore. But the problem is that God's people, uh, we who call ourselves Christians, have begun to take so lightly the sins of the world, they don't bother us anymore. We've grown comfortable with them. I can remember a time in, in my short life when if you had a couple living together in the community that weren't married, uh, the old drunk would help you run them out of town. But, but we've grown comfortable with that. And we even make jokes about it and laugh about it. And I can tell you, God doesn't laugh about it. And then since we've gotten on this subject, uh, we've opened this can of worms. We're going to try to uh, round a few of them up. And uh, we're going to be plowing a little bit of new ground. At least for me. And uh, that never was a pleasant thing. Uh, But I want you to look at something over in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. If I can find it. It used to be in my Bible. And I'm pretty sure it's still here. Here it is. Chapter 7. I want you to look at verses 1 and 2. Now concerning the things whereof you wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now, I'm going to stop right there a moment. I want to prove something to you. Sister Vonda, shake hands with me. Now, is that what God's talking about? No. I could, if I wasn't afraid Brother X would hit me, I could hug her. That's not what God's talking about. A good Christian, that's not what God's talking about. He's talking here in the sexual sense. And the context of that makes you understand that's what he's talking about. And all Paul was saying that if you could get by without having a sexual desire within yourself, then it'd be better for you to live that way because you wouldn't have the burden of a wife and children to have to see after you could dedicate yourself completely to the work of the Lord. But now let's go on just a little bit farther. Nevertheless, to avoid fornication. Now, I don't know what you, your definition of fornication is. I believe I, that I know. Fornication is that um, continued adultery, as and, and best I can tell. And then he says, but nevertheless, to avoid this, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Now, I underline the word own. And those things, he didn't say. Let every man have his own wife and his neighbor's wife. Let him have his own wife. Period. Yeah. And every woman have her own husband. Period. Right. Right. Now it didn't. It also didn't say let every man have his husband and every wife have a, every woman have a wife. Right. Now God, God expects when we're talking about this thing of of marriage, God expects it to be one man and one woman. Right. Now. Uh, We need to understand that. I know this is, uh, I I might have should have put a little thing like that, like they do on television programs sometimes, that uh, uh, this may not be suitable for everybody. But I believe we need to understand this, that every man is to have his own wife, and every woman is to have her own husband. And then let's go to the book of Hebrews. We'll come back, you keep your place here, we'll come back to this verse in a little bit. But over in the book of Hebrews, and uh, chapter 13, that's very familiar verse, no doubt many of you could quote. And verse 4, marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled. In other words, he said when a couple gets married, what goes on in that marriage bed is acceptable unto God. Now, but he goes on to say in the latter part of that, uh, but whoremongers and adulterers, God's going to judge. Now you say I don't like that part. Well, cut it out, like the king did. Cut it out of your Bible. But that's what God says. In other words, He's saying sex within the marriage bonds is acceptable and honorable under God, but outside it's not. Now let us go back just a little bit to that verse of Scripture I told you. We'll keep going back to First Corinthians and take a look there. uh, Well, before we go there, let let me mention something to you in in, uh, 1 Corinthians 11. It's talking about the communion there. And and in the communion, it says if we would judge ourselves, we'd not be judged. But if we don't judge ourselves, God will judge us. And when God judges us, he'll chasten us. Now, that applies not only to communion, that applies to other sins. Now, uh, I almost carried you back to 1 Corinthians 7 too quick. I want us to look at something in the book of Matthew, chapter 19. In chapter 19 and verse 4, we'll start reading. And he answered and said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them, that is, man and woman, at the beginning made them male and female? And he said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and the twain shall become one flesh. Now, what did he say here? He said, when you get married, uh, that spouse ought to become the most important individual in your life. Now, that's not always the case, but that's what God expects. And I know I've heard all the excuses, you know, uh, why that's not so. But God doesn't give us any out. And he said, in fact, when you get married, you stand up here and you get married, the two of you become one. And, And... uh, God says in another place what, what God has joined together let no man put asunder." now I'm not going to try to get into this marriage and divorce and remarriage tonight we don't have time I will say this if you've been married and divorced and remarried you can still live for God and if you don't understand all that you, you ask me sometime and I'll be able to ex- explain it to you from the word of God where that's acceptable if it's done the right way now Here's two people, they stand up. Uh, I would trust maybe before a preacher, my wife and I stood up before a judge. Uh, the, The people that we, the great crowd that we had at our wedding was my mother in law and the lady that sold us the marriage license and the judge. That was a congregation that we had. But we stood there and we made promises one to another. And those promises usually go something like this. I promise that I'll love you. I'll promise that I'll honor you. I'll promise that I'll reverence you. I'll promise that I'll be faithful unto you. Now, give me a chance to brag just a little bit here. God, uh, maybe I'm like Paul. Paul's on a couple of occasions said, I speak as a fool. And uh, maybe that's what I'm doing. But I want to I want to say this just to make the point that it can done. We've been married almost 55 years, Sarah and I. And I can stand before God and say I've never cheated on her one time. Now I said that may be bragging. I'm just saying that that's possible to do. And that's the only reason I mentioned that. And that's what God expects out of us. Now here we're about to get to that new ground that I was talking about plowing. I, has anybody in here ever plowed new ground? I'll say five or six hands. How many has ever plowed new ground with a mule? i see a few hands. Now, you start plowing new ground with a mule, you see those big stumps and you avoid avoid them. But you're plowing along here and you hit one of those stumps where you've just cut the tree off at the top of the ground. And all of a sudden the mule stops and the plow stops, but I don't. And after that happens two or three times, you're so sore... You're, you're trying to anticipate that. But it's the, the point I'm trying to make, it's not a pleasant experience. So we're going to plow a little new ground. And uh, I don't know how many times I've preached sermons. I'll give you a good guesstimation. I'd say I've probably preached at least 4,000 sermons. I've heard a whole lot more than I've preached. I've probably taught that many Bible classes or more. And I've heard more Bible classes taught than I've taught. I've read sermons in the sword and in books. I've discussed scripture with friends and acquaintances. There's one part part of the scripture that, as far as I can remember, I've never heard dealt with. I talked to Brother John about it last week. He'd read it. He didn't say anything about preaching it. And we come to the conclusion that the reason for that is it's like a hot potato. You get a hold of it, you want to get rid of it as quick as you can. And uh, I've got a feeling that's maybe what this is. So we'll attempt to rightly divide the word on this. If you'll go back once again to that portion of scripture that we looked at uh, a few moments ago in 1 Corinthians 7. 1 Corinthians 7 that we've read verse uh, the first two verses of it. It said, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Now what's benevolence? Benevolence is a kindly act of love. Let the husband render unto the wife a kindly act of love. And likewise, Let the wife render to the husband the same thing, likewise. And so we we see here that as we go along and, well, let's look at verse 4 since we're there. And the wife hath no power over her own body. Now, we're going to explain that a little bit in a moment. But the husband, and likewise the husband had no power over his own body but the wife. Now, what's God saying here? If I understand this right, and I believe that I do, when you get married, the husband has the right to the body of the wife, and the wife has the right to the body of the husband. Now, I meant to set me some exhorters up here to keep me straight on this. But that's the way I read that. Because he goes on in verse 5 and says, Defraud ye not one the other. He said, Don't either one of you defraud the other now what does defraud mean it means to steal from or to withhold property or right of, of an individual that deserves it now God just got through saying the husband has a right to the body of the wife the wife has a right to the body of the husband and he said don't go out stealing that right from your spouse now you see why this is a hot potato don't you all right, and, and so neither one has the right to do that. And, and long before that I understood what they meant, I'd hear men talking about their wife taking a headache when they went to bed. And we'd laugh about that. And then after I learned what they was talking about, we still made jokes and laughed about it. Now, I know you, you sitting there all out solemn, most of you men have done the same thing. And I, I've heard men talk about, you know, one said, my wife had a headache, and the other said, my wife had a toe ache, and my wife had a belly ache, all along, you know, and laugh. But the point I'm trying to make is, you know, the men are getting to feel pretty good right now. But the truth of the matter is that this is just as true for the men as it is for the women. Now listen, you come home, and uh, you've had a hard day at work and the wife has burned the dinner. Or maybe she, you know, you want to talk, and she gets on the telephone to mama or to a good friend, and an hour and a half later, she's still talking. And you say, well, I'll show her. I'll sleep on the couch, or I'll sleep in the spare bedroom. You know what you've done? You've defrauded your wife. You stole from your wife. Just like, just as surely as, as she stole from you when she went to bed with a headache. Do you understand? I'm trying to make this discreetly as I know how. But how seriously does God take this? He said that the only way that you're to be able to get away from this is that there comes a time when one of the couples decides they want to spend some time fasting and praying. And he said that can only be done by consent. Now, Brother Rex, you don't mind if I... Pick on you again. I've already got you mad at me. But you come in and say, Now, Vonda, uh, I'm going to have a complete fast and prayer for a week. That means we're not going to have any physical contact. And Vonda says, No, I will not agree to that. You know what you're supposed to do? You're supposed to forget the fasting and praying. Because it says here that you can only do that by consent. That's how serious God takes this matter. Now, can you see, again, let me ask, can you see why this is a hot potato? No, nobody wants to handle it. But I tell you, it's still a part of God's Word, and it still demands that the man and the woman is of equal responsibility when it comes to this matter. Now, Let me ask you, I'm getting close to closing. I've I've taken about all this, and I know you have, that I can stand. I've I've come to the place where we want to understand that adultery is a terrible, dirty, uh, degradating sin in the sight of God. Everybody would agree to that, right? Now, let me give you uh, a question here. We have Jane Doe. I'm a man, so we'll pick on the women. Being up here, I have the right to choose who I want to pick on. And I'm going to pick on the women. We have Jane Doe. And Jane is a single girl. And then we have Mary Doe is her sister, and she's married. Now, here's my question. Jane goes out one night and finds a guy and commits adultery with him. (laughs) We've already agreed that's a low down dirty sin. But Mary is at home married with her husband and refuses to sleep with him. Now, which one's committed the greater sin? Now, nobody wants to answer that. But I can tell you, in my estimation of the situation, one of them is just as wrong as the other. Both of them broke the commandment of God. Now, I'm going to leave that alone. I just want to deal with one other little thing. Brother Rex kind of fooled around with this one night in the Wednesday night Bible study, and then he walked off and left it. And he said something like this, do you believe that when we commit sin that God starts chastising us while we're still in the flesh? I don't know if you remember saying that or not. But then we went on to talk about something else. Let me give you some quick examples. Miriam was Moses' sister. They were very close at one point. But there came a time when a fellow by the name of Kor started criticizing Moses and Miriam lined herself up with Kor. Now what happened to Miriam? She took leprosy because she opposed her own brother. For God had called him and she opposed and said, you don't have a right to be saying what you're saying. But Kor, the leader of the bunch, the, the one that stirred it all up, God caused the earth to open up and swallow up him and everything that pertained to him. All of his family, his friends, his cattle, everything that pertained to him. And then I guess the classic story is David. David, that individual that was was a friend of God. I believe David was a man after God's own heart. Abraham was a friend of God. David was a man after God's own heart. And he committed a great sin. First of all, he defiled Bathsheba. Now, I don't know how much she was involved in that, but I do know that David sent for her and uh, lay with her, the Bible says, while she was still Uriah's wife. He defiled her. He can never give that back. And then he sent her husband out into the thick of the fight so he would get killed. And he could never give Uriah his life back. Now, Nathan came to, I believe it was Nathan, yeah, Nathan came to David and said, the sword will never leave your house because of what you've done. So those stories, along with many others, tells us that yes, we do start having to bear the fruit of our sin. You can, you can go to God and you can ask forgiveness and, and God will forgive you, but still that fruit has to be born of the seed that's been planted. And so as I said, that's, this is no doubt some new ground. Uh, this is some uh, things that uh, I've never heard preached on. I don't know if you have or not, but it's still the Word of God. And sometimes we need to set forth some of those truths that's hard to be set forth. Somebody asked me one time why I preached on hell so much. I said, because a lot of other people quit. Why do you preach on Pacific sins so much? Because other people quit. Somebody needs to preach the Word of God. God help us that we have the courage and the boldness. Let me, let me say one more time what I said this morning. Courage is... Is not the absence of fear. Courage is when we act in the presence of fear. And so, God, help us to be courageous in our stand for the Lord. I'll ask you to stand if you would, please. Panther, player, and song leader, come. Brother Bobby, if you